When I was in seminary, one of the first things that they tell you when you take a preaching class, one of the first things that they, they get across is that it's your job as the pastor, as the preacher, as the upfront communicator, if you have a background in communications, you know that the, the opening to whatever you're going to say is the absolute most important thing that, that you're going to do because you got to grab people's attention, right? Well, I don't have to worry about that today because the passage that we're going to read, I guarantee is going to grab your attention. Uh, if you want to go ahead and open your Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And this is, if it's not the most interesting story from Jesus' life, it is one of the most interesting stories of Jesus' life. Uh, there is so much happening in this passage this morning. There are so many things that, that we're going to see, that we're going to look at, and some of us are going to say, I, like, what is happening here? Um, I'm a little bit confused, or we're going we're gonna to look at parts of this, and we're going to say, well, what about this part, and what about that part, and what about this part? And I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to be able to get into all those things and answer all those questions uh, just because of how broad, but how deep this passage really goes. And it's, I'll just give you an upfront warning. We're going to look at a passage uh, about demons this morning, where Jesus interacts with a man who was possessed by demons. Uh, and it is, man, it is such an interesting story. And because there's so much happening, because there's so much to just grab our attention and make us wonder, well, how do demons work? How did this guy get the demon? Well, what about this? And what about that? As we talked about this as a staff this past week, as we looked at the passage, one of the staff members said, you know, I think the real danger of this passage is that we're going to get caught up in so many of these auxiliary details that we're going to miss the main point. And as we talked about it as a staff, we said, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a very real possibility. And, and I, I think there's a reason for that. And we talked about as a staff how the reason we may miss the main point of this passage is because we want to. Because it's easier to start thinking about these other things that are happening over here than to face the reality of what God wants us to see about our own lives and to think about how the word of God and how this story that we're going to read today could apply to us. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Man, you are going to have questions. And if you want to have those conversations, I will do my best to answer them. I can't tell you I have all the answers, but I will do my best. But this morning, what I want to challenge each and every one of us is that we would try to see what is God saying to me from this story? Like, what is the big picture? Let's not get caught up in the what about and what if, and, but what is God saying to me? And what changes does God want me to make because of this story this morning? Can we all agree to that? It's okay to talk out loud. We can say yes, we can raise it. Yes, excellent. Help me out. I know many of us are tired from serving at Love Georgetown yesterday, but man, I need your help this morning. I'm coming back from vacation and I'm ready to go and it helps me when I know you're with me. All right, so is everybody awake? All right, here we go. That was awesome. Thank you, guys. We're going to read the whole story. I want us to read the whole story before we stop and we talk about anything. So hang on, buckle up, because you're, there's going to be stuff that you're, you're like, all right, I'm done, I'm out. I'm focusing in on this, and I just want to encourage you, don't let that happen. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, talking about Jesus, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. 
He lived in the tombs. No one was able to restrain him even more, even with chains, because he, was oft, he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had snapped off the chains and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And always, night and day, he was crying out among the tombs in the mountains and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt before him. And he cried out in a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name, he asked. My name is Legion, he answered, because we are many. And he kept begging him not to send them out of the region. Now a large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him to sit, begged him, send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. Then he gave them permission. The unclean, then the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and a herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported in the town and the countryside, and the people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed by, by the legion sitting there dressed in, in his right mind, and they were afraid. The eyewitnesses des described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed kept begging him to be with him, but he would not let him. Instead, he told him, go back to your home, go back home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. What a story. What a story. Man, can you imagine being witness to this, being there and seeing all of this? Now, before we jump into what I think God has for us from this passage this morning, I, I know there are a lot of questions about demons, right? If you got at least one about demons, would you just raise your hand? Like, how, where, why, what? Is this, is this even real? Like, where do we even go? And so I just want to be up front and I want to address a couple of those things. So we don't have time to go into a deep study of, of, of angels and demons and all that sort of stuff. Maybe another time we could do a whole series on that. But for, for this morning, what I just want to hit are just some high points from Scripture of what we know to, to be true about demons. And the first thing I want us to know is that demons are real. Demons are real. We know that when God created, uh, he, he created angels, and that some of those chose with Satan to rebel against God, and they were cast out of heaven, and they now roam the earth. We know from Scripture that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to, to devour, and his demons are in on it. They are looking to devour, to pull us away, and we know that demon possession is real. And I can tell you on some other time stories that I have experienced personally about those who have been possessed by demons and what that looks like and what it looks like when they are delivered from demons. I'm happy to have those conversations offline, but we're not going to share those stories this morning. Here's the next thing I, I want you to know, is that those who are, have put their trust in Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus, cannot be possessed by demons, Okay. Uh, what, what I see in Scripture is that there is a difference between demon possession 
and demon oppression, right? Uh, And here's the thing. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit, and he lives inside of you. So that means there is no room for any other spirit to live inside of you, right? Possession would be where a demon, unclean spirit, in this case, is living inside of you. But when you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there's no more room for that because God is literally living inside of you. Uh, And I can tell you stories. There have been times my wife and I have both woken up in the middle of the night, and it's like there's a weight on our chest, and the hair on the back of our arms and necks is standing up, and we just say, we have got to pray. And we go to our kids' rooms, and we put our hands on their doors, and we pray, because for whatever reason, we feel like there is something there. So I can tell you that that oppression is real. Some of you may have felt that before, where it feels like just this, this overwhelming sense of something is weighing you down. And you know it's not from God, right? Anybody besides me ever felt that? Awesome. Glad I'm not alone. So the next thing I want us to see is this. Uh, This man gives us a lot of insight into how demon possession works and and what we see often with demons. A lot of times what we see is that it leads people to places of isolation. This man is alone. If you read Matthew and Luke's Uh, account of this story. There's actually one other demon-possessed man with him, but for all intents and purposes, this man is isolated. We know that demons, we find them typically in filthy places. This man is living among tombs. He's literally living among the dead. We see that these demons, they were able to recognize Jesus for who he was, that he was the son of the Most High. So they have some sort of spiritual insight that the people around them didn't have. So we know that these demons have some sort of uh, spiritual insight. We know this man, no one was able to bind him with chains and shackles, that he was able to break the shackles to pieces. So we see that there's a supernatural strength that often accompanies this. And we see this man who is in torment. We see him going back and forth between his human personality and this demon personality. And he's extremely tormented. It says he's crying out day and night painful cries. Painful cries. This man is tormented. And then we also see the self-destruction, reading that he was cutting himself with rocks. Um, I know there are many people that struggle with self-mutilation and self-harm, and I would just encourage you uh, that you would flee from that, that you would seek help from that, because that doesn't honor God in any way, and that is That is from the enemy. In fact, when we go to stories in the Old Testament like Elijah on Mount Carmel, where they're they're having the showdown between the prophet of God and these false prophets uh, of this false god, Baal. And they're there and they're worshiping and it says that they are cutting themselves, trying to get the attention of this false god. And we know from elsewhere in scripture that any worship of false god is worship of a demon. Okay, so there is a close connection between self-mutilation and demons. So just be aware of that and and flee from that. And the last thing, the reason there's self-destruction, the reason there's this isolation, this filth, all these other things, what we know about demons is this, that they, like Satan, their goal is to destroy the image of God. You and I are created in the image of God, and anything that they can do to destroy that or to harm that is what they seek to do. All right? So that's as far as I want to go this morning. I hope that gives you some sort of insight. Hope it doesn't freak you out too much. Maybe enough to to turn you away from anything that that might even bring you close to involvement with something like that. But man, I just want us to be aware that our enemy is real. 
And I want to encourage us with this. I was saving this for the end, but I'm going to go ahead and go there. First John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? So we don't have to be afraid. Okay? So I want to take us back to a, a quote by C.S. Lewis before we go any further. Just as a warning, C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One, meaning demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an, ex- an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So here's what Satan wants. He wants you to either not believe that he's real and that demons are real, or he wants you to become so obsessed with demons and Satan and angels and things like that, that it would pull you away from what God has for you to say, has to say to you in this story. So as we move forward, let's set these other things aside. We can get to those another time. And let's see what God has for us to learn from this story. The first thing that I want us to see about this man, as we read his story, we read about this man living among the tombs. We read about his painful cries. We read about the isolation. We know from other passages in Matthew and Luke that he was literally running around naked. And nakedness in in Scripture is often used to symbolize shame. Think about Adam and Eve. It says in Genesis chapter 2 that they were naked and they felt no shame. But what happens after they eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? It says their eyes were open. Their eyes were open and they realized they were naked. They felt shame. They felt shame. And here's this man. He is feeling shame. He's sleepless. He's restless. He's crying out in pain. He's he's participating in self-destructive behavior. He is powerless. He is powerless to change either through himself or with the help of his neighbors to intervene and heal him. He is tormented. This man is literally living hell. He is living hell every single day. And I don't know about you, but there have certainly been moments in my life where I look back and I see that I am no better off than this man that I am literally living hell. Even as a follower of Jesus, there are moments when I feel like all I want to do is cry out in pain. When I feel like I'm being tormented, when I feel isolated, when I feel like my life is just full of filth and I'm there and I'm living in misery and what I want us to know is that that is not God's desire for us. That is not God's desire for us. What we see in this man is a life that is out of control. It's a life that's out of control. Have you ever felt like your life is out of control? Like no matter what you do, you just can't stop from going down this road. I think we've all been there. And we know that that is not God's desire for this. Maybe you're not walking around naked, but maybe you're carrying the shame of a past mistake. You're carrying the shame of a mistake that you made recently or maybe even years ago. And because of that shame, you seek to hide from other people. You isolate yourself, much like this man out in the tombs. You hide yourself because the the reality that someone may find out who I really am and what I've really done is too much. So I'm going to hide myself away. I'm going to isolate myself. And it leads to pain. It leads us to pain from others or pain, pain from relationships. We get sleepless. We stay awake at night wondering, God, when is this going to end? 
Maybe it's a relationship gone bad that, that caused us to be sleepless. We find ourselves crying out. We're either de- bemoaning our deplorable case or we're enraged at heaven because God is allowing this to happen. And our life just feels out of control. Maybe you feel like it's a lost cause. Maybe it's, it's because rather than seeking God and others to walk with you, you just throw your hands up and you say, well, if this is the way it's going to be, then I'm just going to keep going down that road. And you find yourself in this cycle of self-destructive behavior, making choices. You isolate yourself and you pull yourself further and further and you just end up winding yourself down the rabbit hole. And you go further and further away. And you live this life of misery. And I want you to know that that is not God's desire for you. And we see that so clearly in the next thing. Verses 6 through 13 we read that Jesus, after crossing over, this man runs to Jesus and things begin to change as he has an encounter with the master. I want us to see this man has an encounter with the master. What's awesome about this story is in the previous section, we read about Jesus and the disciples. It says they just crossed over the sea. And what we didn't read this morning is that as they were crossing the sea, Jesus was asleep and there was this great storm that came up. And the disciples are afraid. Many of them are fishermen. They know what kind of trouble they're in out on this open sea in the middle of the storm. And they're afraid because they think their boat is going to be tipped over and they're going to drown. And they wake Jesus up and say, don't you care if we die? And Jesus stands up and he commands the storm and he says, be still. Be quiet. And the storm is quiet. And it's probably late at night right at the break of dawn that they reach this other shore. And this demon-possessed madman, a violent madman, in other passages we read that this man was so violent that people could not pass by that way. Jesus steps on shore. And this violent, demon-possessed madman runs towards him and kneels before him. Now when he kneels before him, it's not in worship. I believe it's not this man's choice. This is the demons who are coming before Jesus because they recognize the master, not just the master of the wind and the waves, but the master of all creation. And they recognize him for who he is. That's why they say, Jesus, son of the most high God. And they kneel before him because they have no other choice because they know his power and his true strength. And then Jesus commands them to leave the man. He encounters the master. And what's amazing to me, what's amazing to me is that the demons are able to recognize who Jesus is. In fact, they even seem to understand that Jesus has mastery over them and that Jesus, there is coming a time in Matthew and Luke, we read that they say, don't torment us before the allotted time. Now, what's interesting to me is how much are they tormenting this man, yet they beg, don't torment me. I always found that interesting. But they know that there's a time coming that they will be cast into the lake of fire, that they will be completely destroyed. And they say, don't torment us before the allotted time. We know that it's coming, but now's not the time. Don't do that to us. And they beg Jesus. Now here's what's interesting to me, is that these demons had the right theological facts, but they didn't have the right heart and they didn't have the right connection with Jesus. And here's what's scary to me, especially in the American church, 
is that there are many people who are walking around with the right theological facts about Jesus. They know who he is. They know what God's word says. They have all knowledge. But what they lack is an intimate relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. They know about God, but they do not know God. They don't know his power because they've not experienced him personally. And we see it all the time. We see these people, my wife was just reading this morning in 1 Corinthians about how knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And there's just a complete lack of love in their lives, love for themselves and love for others. And they think that if I just know more, if I can just speak the Greek and Hebrew, if I can just get it right, well, let me tell you, I I am almost certain that the demons who experienced God firsthand have a more orthodox theology than any human will ever have. They have that spiritual insight. We don't have that they are going to be more right on what they believe about God than I think you or I can ever hope to be because they've seen it firsthand. And what's scary is that so often we put so much emphasis on getting it right, getting it right, getting it right, getting it right, and we miss what God has for us, which is not just to know it, but to put it into practice. Now, I'm not telling you set your Bible aside and just go do whatever you want. No, we need to know the word of God. We need to know what it says, but we also need to know that his desire is for us to move it from our head to our hearts and out to our hands. That we, we use the word orthodoxy to talk about right, uh, right thinking, and there's the word orthopraxy to talk about right practice, Right? We have to have the orthodoxy, the right thinking about Scripture, about God and who he is and what he wants, but it should lead us more than just into our studies. It should lead us out into a world where we start making a difference because we have encountered, we've encountered the master. And I think it's interesting that there was a group of people, even in Jesus' day, who knew the Scriptures. They had them memorized. And yet... Jesus rails against the Pharisees because they were never able to move just beyond knowledge into a personal relationship with Jesus. And that is what is so scary about this interaction that this man has, is that these demons, they know Jesus. They know who he is. They believe things that are true about him, but they don't have a relationship with him. And so as this man encounters the demons, Jesus knows that he's not going to get anywhere with them. He's after the man. He's after the man, and so he he commands the demons to leave. And they beg for this opportunity to be sent into the pigs. They say, hey, it's not our time to be destroyed yet. Send us somewhere else. Send us out. Send us into those pigs over there. Now, I know that some of you are asking questions about these pigs. Like, doesn't Jesus care about animals? Like, how would, why would he let these 2,000 animals die? And that's one of those questions that we're like, it, it will distract us from the point, right? And, and we're like, what about the pigs? Like, babe, just 2,000 of them ran over the cliff. We love animals. We love little pigs in their curly tails. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. 2 those demons, those pigs were just as good of a place to live as inside that man. They viewed that man as nothing more than an animal. But Jesus knows there's a big difference between an animal and a man who is created in God's image. 
And the other thing I would point out is this, that Jesus did not command them into the demons, he gave them, or into the pigs. He gave them permission. And he gave them permission to go into the pigs, and then they were true to their nature and do what demonic forces, satanic forces do. They destroyed. They destroyed. They took life. And that's what we know to be true about our enemy. We know that Jesus is the good shepherd, that he is the one who gives life, and that our enemy is the one who takes life. And many of us struggle because we feel like if I come into to a relationship with Jesus, that means I'm going to have to give things up, that I'm going to have to give up the way I want to do things. I'm going to have to obey him and, and follow him. And I don't know that I'm ready to do that. Well, let me just say that, that submitting your life to Jesus is not one of, of shackles and burdens, but one of freedom. You're now free to choose that obedience and experience the beauty of the life that he offers rather than the destruction that comes from being separated from him. So I just, I want us to think about that. It reveals that while Jesus views, values human life, these, these pigs were just as good as a man to Satan. They were no different. They were no different, but God values us. We see this experience with the master, and that leads to this experience of mercy. We have this man who experiences mercy, what I love, and we're going to get to this in just a minute, is that after this man is, is healed, the demons are gone. He is set free. We read that he is clothed and sitting in his right mind. Sitting clothed in, in his right mind is how people find him. Sitting in, in his right mind. Now think about that. The shame is gone. He's now clothed. The shame of the nakedness is now gone, and he's now in his right mind. I don't know about you, I taught preschool last week in Sunday school. I was not in my right mind at that moment. I know what it's like to go home and take a nap and wake up and pray, Lord Jesus, forgive me for the things that I thought. Amen, I'm in my right mind. Like the shame is gone. I'm in my right mind. I know what that's like. But here's what's interesting to me is that the people of this town, the people of the region, were more comfortable living with the demons, trying to contain them, than they were being set free from them. They asked Jesus to leave. They can't even focus on the mercy and the miracle that took place before them as this man's life was changed. They say, Jesus, you got to go. Like this power, we don't understand it. Like the demons, we could at least try to contain. We could keep this man here, but you... We see we can't contain that. We want you to go. Now, part of me also wonders if they were looking at 2,000 dead, dead, dead pigs saying, there goes our income. Jesus, we can't afford to lose anymore. And here's something else that I want us to see this morning before we go back to the demon-possessed man and the mercy that he received. How many of us, how many of us have made that decision in our life before when we say, Jesus, what you're asking me to do is too costly. I, I don't know that I can give that up. Now, the text doesn't say that's the reason why they asked Jesus to leave, but I imagine that is part of it. That they say, you know what, Jesus? You cost us too much. We need you gone. We need you to go. Yet, we are no different. When when we're in a situation where Jesus says, I want you to approach that person and share your faith with them, and you say, well, that, what's that going to do to my reputation? They're going to think I'm some Bible thumper. Or you're sitting across someone, you're, you're making a business deal, and they start sharing about the pain in, your, in their life. 
and you know that you have the cure for that, that Jesus, his mercy and encounter with the master is exactly what they need. But you say, if I start talking about Jesus stuff, they're going to get up and walk out of the, walk off, uh, off the, away from the table and leave the business deal on the table. And we choose the money over the man. How many of us have made that decision before? We're faced with those decisions all the time. And I hope in the future as we're faced with those decisions, don't feel, don't feel shame in that, but experience God's mercy and know that he has more for you. And to think about what it would be like to step forward and to share that mercy that you've received with someone else. Let's go on to the man. We see that he is clothed, dressed, sitting in his right mind. Uh, We talked about how nakedness is a picture of shame. This man is no longer living with the shame that he once carried around. We see that he's in in his right mind. He's no longer restless, sleepless. He's no longer crying out in pain. He's no longer isolated. He's no longer participating in self-destructive behavior. The violence is gone. In a word, he's at peace. He's encountered the master, received his mercy, and now he is at peace in his life. And let me tell you, that is what God's desire is for you. Not to live out of control, not to live in the shame, the the pain, all the other things, the violence, but to live in peace with him. That you could experience that. And that begins when we receive God's mercy. This man had received God's mercy when he was delivered. He receives God's mercy. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But it happens this way. The first step is that we would trust Jesus as our Savior. That we would believe that that what God's word says about Jesus, what Jesus said about himself is true. That he's the Son of God. We've seen that even the demons have recognized that. That he's the Son of God who lived a perfect life without sin, died on the cross while bearing our sin, the guilt that we have. Jesus carried that on the cross for us paid the penalty for our sins, and on the third day was raised again. So the first step of trusting him as Savior is this, that we have to recognize that we're sinners, that our sin deserves punishment, but that Jesus has taken that punishment for us, and that it's only by trusting in him that we're forgiven. That's step one. And the reality is this, that the the second step is we then choose to follow him as our Lord. That we say, because you have saved me, because you have forgiven me, I want to walk in obedience to you. And that's exactly what we see with this man. That's exactly what we see. Remember, he asks Jesus, let me come with you. Let me come with you. And Jesus says, no, I have a different mission for you. I want you to go into all the cities, the Decapolis, the 10 cities in this area, and I want you to tell what God has done for you and of his great mercy that you have received. And the man goes and he does it. The man goes and he does it. Last thing we see is that Jesus, not only does he call us out of a life of misery into an encounter with the master so that we can experience his mercy, he commissions us to ministry. He commissions us to ministry. In these last verses, as we just talked about, the man is sent out to these cities and he begins proclaiming what Jesus has told him to proclaim. It says, So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. I ran out of time this week as I was studying this passage, but what I wanted to do is go back and look 
at the book of Acts and look at some of the other areas and see how the gospel moved in those areas after the resurrection because this man had prepared the way. I imagine that, that when people came and proclaimed Jesus raised from the dead after this man's story, there were many, many, many people who came to know Jesus because of that, because of this story. Now, here's what I love about this. I haven't covered this yet, but the, when they crossed the sea to the Gerasenes, this was a Gentile region. Jesus was Jewish. This was a Gentile region. They, other than interacting with the Jews, maybe on a cultural basis, they did not know the scriptures. They had no knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. It wasn't something they were sitting and studying. This man had no formal training. He he had no one to give him a theology degree, to give him a Bible study. He had no one to give him, hey, here's the four spiritual laws, or here's your, here's your gospel presentation, right? What does Jesus ask him to do? He says, just go tell your story. Go tell your story of what God has done in your life. And I think for all of us, now let me say this, I believe Bible study is important. I believe it's important for every single one of us to be able to have some way, shape, or form where we have a concise way to share the gospel with other people. But I believe not having those is not an excuse for not sharing what God has done in your life. You can start with just your story. And that's what God calls this man to. He says, hey, just start with your story. Just start with your story. Start sharing that. And I think that's a step that every single one of us can take today. We can share the story of what God has done in the, the, the mercy that we've received. Now, I know there are some here this morning, many of you are already followers of Jesus. And I want to take you back to before you met Jesus. Because the reality is that you are no different than this man. No matter how good your life was, no matter if you were like me, I was in church before I was born. Like those nine months, we didn't miss a Sunday. I don't remember it, but I know I was there. Growing up, we didn't miss church. I grew up in church. But I know that before I put my trust in Christ, my life was no different than this man. I was separated from God. I was separated from his Savior. But then I encountered the Savior, and I put my trust in Jesus Christ, and I received his mercy. And now he gives me a ministry to share that with others. And the same is true for you. Before you met Jesus, you were no different. Yet you encountered him, you trusted him, you received his mercy. And now I challenge you to take hold of the ministry that he's given you. If you need tools, we'd love to help you with tools. But can you at least start, you can start today with just sharing your story. There's others of you here this morning who are followers of Jesus, yet you still feel like your life is out of control. And I just want to encourage you that what you need right now is, is not to be saved again because we know that only happens once, but you just need to return to the master. Maybe, maybe your life is feeling out of control and you've broken fellowship with people because you're afraid if somebody really knows me, they'll know my sin and I'm ashamed of that. Don't isolate yourself. But just know that, that God is there. He's waiting for you. And he will, he will extend his mercy to you over and over and over again. Just this week, I was talking with one of my kids as they were being disciplined for kicking their sibling in the head. Um, yes, pastor's kids do those things too. 
But my child was, was breaking down crying. She was crying, and I just had to remind her of God's grace and his mercy in her life, that what Scripture says in 1 John is true, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we receive his mercy, and we get sent back out into that ministry. We get sent back out into that ministry and the last people I would, I would speak to this morning are those who have yet to put your trust in Jesus Christ. My only encouragement to you is this. Run to the master. Run to Jesus. We've talked about how he died on the cross for your sins. He is the only one who could set you free. He is the only one who could set you free. Don't make the mistake of being like the people from the town who were simply trying to contain it because we know that nothing could contain those demons. Nothing can contain the sin. Nothing can contain the pain and the hurt that you feel because of those mistakes. Wouldn't it be better to be set free, to see the deliverance that Jesus offers and experience that mercy? And as you receive that mercy, receiving a, not just an eternal life, but a new life, one that's called and given a purpose to go and tell what God has done and how you've received his great mercy to lead others into that great mercy. I love this picture for all of us as we close. Here you have a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish rabbi who would have never been seen among anything unclean. According to Jewish tradition, the tombs were unclean, the Gentiles were unclean, the pigs were unclean, this demon-possessed man was unclean. In fact, the scripture says it was an unclean spirit that was in him. All of these things are unclean. Yet where do we find our Savior? We find him saying, you know what? If I'm going to help these people, if I'm going to bring healing and mercy to their lives, I'm going to have to get a little bit dirty. And he enters into that darkness. And I love this because so often as followers of Jesus, we forget that we're called not just to experience his mercy, but then to enter back into that dark darkness, that brokenness, that filth and bring the mercy to those who are still hurting. Will you take that step this week? And let me tell you, there's a big difference between entering into it and participating in it. You can enter into it without participating. We see Jesus walk that line so well, and he brings so many to experience God's mercy. Revelation 12:11 says this. It says, they were conquered they conquered him, speaking of the devil. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb, that is Jesus, and by the word of their testimony. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, the story that you have of your salvation, of the mercy that you've experienced, is powerful enough to conquer the enemy. Are you willing to take that step first to trust him as your savior? If you're not a believer this morning, I pray that you would experience his mercy. I would love for you to find me at the connection table. We can have conversations about what that looks like. Or you can check that box on your connection card on the back that says, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. We will answer whatever questions you have. We will do whatever we can to help you receive his mercy. And if you are one who has received his mercy this morning, will you enter back into that darkness? 
and go and tell what God has done for you and of his great mercy this week. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have mercy on us. Lord, we're grateful that your desire is not that we would stay in confusion, that we would live lives that are out of control, but that we would live lives that are characterized by peace and mercy. Lord, help us never forget the the great mercy that we've experienced through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help us to be so excited about it that we would enter our our workplaces, our schools, that we would enter into uh, our neighborhoods, that we would go to the dark places, the filthy places, and we would enter in with a story and a message of hope, grace, and mercy that more men, women, and children would come to trust your son, Jesus, as their Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.